So, Father, this morning we do, we, we bring praise. Um, Lord, whether we find ourselves in the, in the desert or in the harvest, we bring praise this morning. You're worthy of it. And we ask, would you speak to us today in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, when my family and I were on vacation this summer, we had the opportunity to go to Legoland. And um, we got there early, and we stayed late, and, and one of the rides that my oldest son, Ethan, really wanted to go on was, was a Ninjago ride, and it was one of these sort of 4D rides where you're karate chopping things that are flying at you, and there's mist and smells. It, it, was, it was pretty epic. Um, and so we, uh, we, we sort of chose our time wisely as to when we wanted to get in line because the line was long and, and we saw uh, it get shorter as the day went on. And so um, around six o'clock when most people with little kids had done the wise thing and left, we were still there. And um, we went into this line and, and there was just about five minutes worth of waiting out front. And we waited in that line and thought, man, we have chosen wisely. Like, we're, we are so smart. We're going to fly right through this. And, and we got through that part of the line and then we went into this other room and in this other room there was um, ropes set up and it wasn't just one line through this room it was about five lines back and forth through this room and and they put us in this room and the music started to get a little bit louder okay and that's when you know you're in trouble they want to distract you right so we got through that room and we entered what Another room, right? And so music got a little bit louder. We're waiting a little bit longer, and we're, we're in this line, and we got through that room, and we entered what? Another room, right? And, and finally, we get to the front of the line, and somebody with what they call a fast pass, which means they spent a ton of money to buy this little device that allows them to cut in front of regular paying customers like us. They, they just flash this fast pass and they cut in front of us. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? I've spent 45 minutes in this line now in these rooms with the music getting louder and louder and somebody just cuts right in front of me. And I started to think, man, life just feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Like right when you think you're getting to the quote-unquote front of the line, that there's another room. <laughs> right when you think you're at the end of the tunnel and you think you see the light, it turns out the light is off far more in the distance than you ever could have dreamed. <clears throat> and so many of us, we spend a lot of time in our lives waiting. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but my guess is every single day you spend time waiting, whether it's in traffic on the way or way to or way home from work, or in the grocery store, you spend time waiting, don't you? Anybody have an equation they work in their mind as to which checker is going to be the fastest so you spend the least amount of time waiting, right? So you do a little surveying beforehand, who's checking the quickest? If your checker's a little bit chatty, you know, you don't want to go there, or at least you don't want to say anything, right? Hi, just focus, right? Please execute, right? Because we... We hate that waiting period, don't we? But we all, we all experience it. If you, if you have kids, my guess is um, that like me, every single meal you eat involves waiting, not because you're at a nice restaurant, 
but because you're begging your kids to eat the food that's in front of them for the love of all that is holy and sacred. Would you please eat that? No, you don't get a granola bar when you get in bed, right? We spend so much of our lives waiting. Here's how I'll define waiting for us today. Waiting is that, that space between reality, where we're at, in actuality, in real life, and desire, where we love to be. Uh, the space between reality and desire. The space between addiction and, and recovery. There's, there's waiting there, isn't there? The space between joblessness and employment. There's, there's waiting there, isn't there? The space between desperation and depression and joy. There's, there's waiting there, isn't there? The space between Hurt and, and health, there's waiting there. And in all of our lives, we will and probably are on some level, in some way, waiting, aren't we? It's not unique to any single one of us. It's a condition of being human. There is a space between reality and desire, where we currently are and where we wish we would be or when we let ourselves hope and let ourselves dream and let ourselves pray, where we envision life eventually heading, isn't there? Maybe it's a relationship for you, and so this chair would signify um, singleness, and the, the desire is dating or marriage or whatever. All of us have these things in our life, don't we? The question, will you look up at me for, for just a second? The question is not whether or not you will wait in life. The question is whether or not you will wait well, because whether or not you wait well will determine the fruit that's birthed in your life in the space between reality and desire. If you, if you read through the scriptures, there's so many stories about waiting. There, there's whole books devoted to the people of God, the nation of Israel, waiting. If you read Numbers chapter 13, you see this invitation from God, the people of Israel invited to enter the promised land. If you've been around the scriptures a little bit, you've, you've probably recognized that story. They go and they, they survey the land and they come back and they report, listen, there's giants in the land. It's flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, you, you were right there, but, but there's giants in the land and we could never go into that land. And so God says, all right, that's fine. That's fine. So you're going to wander around in the desert for 40 years. The space between reality and desire was... 40 years. And in that time, in that waiting time, the nation of Israel, they started to reimagine what life was like back in Egypt. They started to push back against Moses, who was their leader. They started to develop this like holy angst in their soul where they just weren't okay with where they were at. Have you ever felt those types of feelings in the waiting? The God, are you ever going to come through type of feeling. The, the, for them, it was, are we going to eat manna our entire lives? Is that the way this goes down, right? 40 years living at the grain section of the food pyramid. Oh, man. Right, right. Yeah. An entire book, an entire narrative, 40 years devoted to waiting. But it's in that waiting time that they also received the, the law of God. They received the Ten Commandments, and they, they started to recognize what it meant to become the people of God. 
What it looked like to live free under his rule and his reign. What it looked like to, to not only become the people of God in a civil way, but they built a tabernacle during that waiting time and they became this worshiping community. And the waiting time for them wasn't just time to kill, it was time for them to develop. It was time for them to grow. It was time for them to become the people that God was intending for them to become. And in many ways, this psalm, Psalm 130, echoes that um, Israelite declaration that we will not just get through the waiting, but we will flourish in the waiting. That the space between isn't just a time to endure or a time to persevere through. It's actually a time where God wants to sink some seeds deep within our soul that eventually will bear fruit for the glory of his name. If you have a Bible, will you turn with me to Psalm 130? It's a psalm of ascent. It's a psalm that they would sing, the nation of Israel would sing as they were heading up to Jerusalem for one of the three pilgrim feasts that they would go and they would celebrate on an annual basis. And you'll remember, Eugene Peterson says that the, the, these psalms of ascent are sort of like the, the Hebrew, the dog-eared Hebrew songbook. And so you could imagine as you were walking on this hike, however long it took you, depending on where you left from, when somebody would start to call out Psalm 130, it was a psalm about waiting. And inevitably, as you were walking along this path to Jerusalem, you would be able to relate to this psalm. Listen to what the psalmist says. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice, and let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with his plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now, if you're looking for the point or the thesis of the psalm, it's found in, in verse 5. And listen to the psalmist as he writes. He says, I what? I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I what? Now, when the psalmist says, in his word, I hope, don't think first and foremost in the Bible, I hope. Think in the presence of God, I hope. In the, in the speaking of God, I hope. Because on this pilgrim path to Jerusalem, they most likely didn't have a big scroll that they could roll out. That They weren't talking about the Bible as we know it. They were talking about the presence of God, the voice of God, the, the real impact of God's presence in their life. And the psalmist says, listen, there's a space between. There's a space between where I'm at and where I'd love to be. And God, in that space, I want to surrender my desires. I want to surrender my timelines. God, I want just not my, not my body and not my mind to wait in you and for you, but look, I want my soul to wait for you. And here's what the psalmist knows. Here's what the psalmist knows. The psalmist knows that all of us wait. The question isn't whether or not we'll wait. The question is whether we will wait well. And our response to God in the waiting, in the space between, in the, in the meantime, 
determines whether we experience significant growth in our life or whether we enter into a season of spiritual decline. My guess is you've probably experienced both in your life, haven't you? Times in, when you were waiting, maybe, maybe it was something going on with your kids or a job, and you were waiting, and you grew more bitter and anxious and worried, and there was just some angst in you. The space between sort of just ate you alive. And you would say, yeah, 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 no, that's possible, Ryan, for, for decline spiritually, emotionally, in our health in every way, shape, or form to happen. But then if I also did a straw poll and asked you to raise your hand, have you seen God move and have you seen God work in the meantime, in the waiting? I, my guess is so many of you would raise your hand and say, oh yeah, that's when God started to birth a new dream in me. That's when God started to meet me in the pain and, and in the questions. And that's when I started to actually hear his voice like I, I never had before. You see, the question in life is not, primarily or only what happens to us. The question is, how do we respond to what happens to us? How do we respond to the space between where we are and where we would love to be? See, everyone waits, but not everyone waits well. Did you know God does some of his best work in the waiting? As you read through the scriptures, I mean, there's, the people of God are distinctly people who have to learn, who are forced to learn how to wait on God. Abraham, the great patriarch of the faith, receives a promise from God that he's going to be the father of many nations. He receives that promise at the age of 75. He becomes a father at the age of 100. It's a little bit of a wait. Just throw it out there, Right? David is anointed as the next king of Israel at the age of, of 15, 16 years old. And it's not until the age of about 30 that he actually takes the crown. Roughly 15 years for David in between the reality and the desire, the, the promise and the provision. And in that space between, God develops him, God grows him, God makes him into the type of man that they would want to be king. He has a work to do. And I don't know what you're walking through in life today. I don't know what type of waiting you're involved in, what, what space lies between the reality and the desire. I only know this, that God does not waste the waiting. He does not waste the waiting. In fact, here's the way. Here's the way that John Orberg, the great pastor and author, puts it. He says, waiting is not, something we, not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what or who God wants us to be. The prophet Isaiah would say it like this. He would say, those who wait on the Lord... Those who wait for the Lord, they shall renew their strength. So, so in the space between, there's a strength that's built. There's a fortitude that develops. There's a character that starts to take hold in our life. And we would love to hit fast forward in between reality and zoom to desire, wouldn't we? But Isaiah says, oh, no, 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 that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. 
As you're waiting, one of the ways you wait well is you wait well by holding on. And in that holding on, God strengthens you and develops you and makes you into the type of people he is inviting you to become. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What's the space between in your life right now? The, The desire and the reality. And wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great, if, if there's so much tied up in not just waiting, but how we wait, wouldn't it be great if the scriptures taught us how to be people who wait well? I agree, I agree it would. And you're in luck. Because Psalm 130 is all about how to be people who not just wait, but who wait well. I just want to point out four things in this passage for you this morning and how to become people who wait well. Psalm 130 Listen to the first two verses. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice and let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And so here's what the psalmist is saying. The space I inhabit right now is a space of pain, is a space of affliction, and is a space of unmet desire. And so God, since you're my God, you're going to hear about it. And he even goes so far as to say or to write, will you be attentive to me? Have you you ever felt like in the midst of walking through the space between that God was just silent? That he was distant? That he was uninterested? Yeah, the psalmist, the psalmist can relate to you. He goes, oh yeah, yeah, I get it. In fact, I'm so bold as to say, back to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, let your ears be attentive. Come on. Can you be that honest with God? Can you be that honest with God? See, because you and I will never navigate the space between well if we are not able to be honest with God about the deepest pains and the deepest desires and the deepest cries of our soul. So here's what we do. We, we first, we express ourselves honestly. Honestly. He cries out. When was the last time you did that? I live, as I mentioned, we, we have three young kids, which means somebody in my house is always crying out. Sometimes it's even the kids, okay? <laughs> but that just that honest desire, going back to God, God, I, I long for this. And here's the hard part about honestly crying out is it's allowing ourselves to honestly feel the depths of the emotion that are stirring in our soul. Because when we are in the space between where reality and desire do not come together and do not meet, isn't it easier to just sort of ignore that? rationalize it, fantasize about what's coming next, but really, in a way, try to push back reality. What if we learned, not just with each other, but what if we learned first and foremost with God how to be just unfiltered honest? There's a movie that came out a number of years ago with Jim Carrey in it. It was called Liar, is called Liar, Liar. And in it, he is unable to tell a lie. 
And look at how honest he is. You know why I pulled you over? Depends on how long you were following me. Why don't we just take it from the top? Here goes. I sped. I followed too closely. I ran a stop sign. I almost hit a Chevy. I sped some more. I failed to yield at a crosswalk. I changed lanes in the intersection. I changed lanes without signaling while running a red light and speeding. Is that all? No. I have unpaid parking tickets. Be gentle. What if we were that honest with God? Is that all? Actually, no, God, it's not. There's, there's more going on. See, here's why honesty is so important, especially when it comes to our interaction with God. Here's why it's so powerful. Because it begins the dialogue that we would oftentimes rather distance ourselves from. Even when it's negative, even when it hurts, even when it's painful, God says, I love the dialogue. Listen to Moses, one of the great leaders of the nation of Israel, as he's leading them through this desert wandering. Moses says to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? He's just like, God, I don't get it. Why are you messing with me? Why aren't you showing up? I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you'll treat me like this, kill me at once. I mean, how's that for just brutal honesty? If this is the way you want to deal with me, God, just take me down. If I find favor in your sight, that I may see my wretchedness. I mean, that's an honest prayer, is it not? You'll have a hard time making it through the Psalms without seeing the psalmist just go, God, I'm a mess and I need you to show up. And we'll never navigate the space between unless we're honest with God because honesty opens the dialogue. It deepens the intimacy. Inviting somebody into your pain is one of the best ways to deepen intimacy with them. And so the psalmist says back to God, God, I long to know you. I long to hear your voice. And so I've got to be honest with you. And not only that, but it's the way this honest declaration back to God and invitation into our pain is the way that God meets us and provides for us. Listen to Psalm 40. The psalmist says, I wait patiently for the Lord. He inclined. He, he heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, secured my steps. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our great God. I waited. I cried out honestly, and he heard me. See, if we're going to navigate the space between, the first thing we've got to do is express honestly our heart, our soul, our thoughts, our feelings to God. Listen to the way that the psalmist goes on in the Psalm of Ascent. Verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who, O Lord, could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. And here's what the psalmist is doing. He's going to a place that you and I will often go when we're in the space between. 
we'll start to think, all right, am I walking this road? Am I, am I waiting because it's me? God, are you upset with me? God, are you angry with me? God, I grew up in a household where one of the methods of getting what we wanted was giving people the cold shoulder. God, is that the game you play? And so the psalmist wants to cut that off at the pass and declare unequivocally so clear, no, that is not the way that God plays games. See, oftentimes, here's what we think. We think, that God has turned his back on us because of some of the sin in our life, because of the things that we're walking through, because of some of the decisions that we've made. And so we'll rationalize here. The space between is a space where I need to get my acts together, where in order to get God's attention, I've got to perform and I've got to do something and I've got to somehow stir up these good deeds in me in order for God to turn back towards me and be back in relationship with me. And our thought is, listen, I'm in this space because God, you're giving me the culture shoulder. And immediately as he starts to think that, he goes, no, 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 no. That's not the way my God works. In fact, he washes us in the truth of the gospel. Listen to what he says. God, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. No one. It's, God, you've been ridiculously good to us. Who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. In 1738, John Wesley, one of the great founders of the Methodist movement, sang, was singing this psalm in England. And as he sang it, something in his heart just awakened to life, and for the first time, he really understood the gospel. Not that you fill the gap in the space between, but that God does. And so in whatever situation you're waiting in, can I encourage you not only to express yourself honestly, but to acknowledge forgiveness consistently, that this is something we need to let wash over our lives on a daily basis. That the truth of the matter is not that God is silent or that he's giving you the cold shoulder. The truth of the matter is not that he's sort of just waiting for you to clean up your act so that you can be back in relationship with him. The truth of the matter is that so much of the time in the waiting, God's pursuing us and we're the ones with our backs turned towards him. And that this sometimes looks like, all right, I'm going to work my way out of this situation. And God, I'm going to try my best to get back on good terms with you. And we run in contrary to the rhythms of the gospel when we think that it's about what we can do instead of what Jesus has done. Because the way that God responds to us in those times is by coming and meeting us face to face. That's the, that's the gospel, friends. And Paul writing to his friend Titus says it like this. He says, when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us. We didn't close the gap in between reality and desire. He did. In righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal, the Holy Spirit. Oh, man. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, For indeed, 
grace is the key to it all. In the harvest and in the desert and everywhere in between. Grace is the key to it all. It's not our lavish good deeds that procure salvation, but God's lavish love and mercy. That's what does it. And so, friends, if your view of God is that he's angry with you, that he's giving you the cold shoulder, that he's waiting for you to clean up your act before you can be back in relationship with him. Can I assure you, that is probably some religion. In fact, it's most religions, but it is not Christianity. Christianity is that God pursues you even at your depths, and that is the only way we can explain the life of Jesus. So the psalmist says, well, with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. And as you first read that, my guess is like me, you sort of take a step back and go, well, I didn't think forgiveness should stimulate fear. And in that we see that if you do a case study or a word study of the word fear throughout the scriptures, there's a number of different ways that it's used. And in this case, it's not that we should be afraid of God as if we cower in fear, not wanting to be in relationship, the relationship that he has purchased for us. No. In this case, fear is an awe and reverential worship in light of the fact that we are forgiven by him. That's what it is. Are you under the false impression that God is mad at you? That he's angry, that he's playing games, that he's giving you the cold shoulder, can assure you the psalmist wants to edge that off at the pass. Express yourself honestly. Acknowledge forgiveness consistently. And listen to where he goes. He says this. He says, I wait. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. Verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. And so if you were to ask me, all right, Paulson, what's the deal? How are we supposed to actively wait well? What's our part in that? I know we cry out, and I know we remember that we're forgiven and that there's no gap between us and God, but what are we supposed to do? And the psalmist paints this picture of, of watchmen, and watchmen were, were people that would sit on the walls of a city, and they would look out. And they would declare to the city, to the army, to the kings, that there's another army coming and they're going to attack us. They were, they were people who helped the nation of Israel or whoever's walls they sat on be prepared. Be prepared. And so I would say this back to you. If you're in the season of waiting, take the disposition of a watchman. And a watchman, here's the trouble with being a watchman. If the watchman gets to sit and they get to look and they get to wait and they anticipate what comes, but they do not get to control what comes. They get to say, hey, there's an army at the gates, but they don't get to create the army and they don't get to, um, they get to initiate the counterattack, but they're typically not a part of it. And what the psalmist would say is that's how waiting feels sometimes. And that's the disposition that we're invited to take, that waiting plus watching equals hope. And so we watch. We watch patiently for God to show up. I don't know about you, but my tendency is far more control than watch. 
my tendency, especially in the space between, is I'm going to go out and I'm going to make it happen. And the psalmist says it's, it's way more like sitting on a wall and watching and anticipating and being alert instead of feeling like you've got to make it happen. See, waiting and hoping does not mean we do nothing. It means that we go about whatever our daily assigned tasks are, our jobs and our homes and our vocations, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. That's what it means. It means that we act with confident expectation that our God is on the move and that he is at work. Here's the way that the great pastor and author Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, the Christian's waiting and watching, that is hoping, is based on the conviction that God is actively involved in his creation and vigorously at work in redemption. So if this is the space you're in, the space between this morning, can I encourage you, be alert. God is on the move. He's on the move. Here's how the psalmist ends. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him plentiful redemption. And that word redemption in the Hebrew, it carries with it this picture of somebody walking through a slave market and purchasing back a slave and giving them their freedom. Because God is, God is on the move. Hope in the Lord. Trust in his love. There's steadfast love and redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. And so here you get this picture. Cry out to God. Remember that you're forgiven. Take the disposition of a watchman and, and wait with expectation and confidence. And as you wait in the space between, for those who follow the way of God, those who know God, this space is definitively covered by his love. And if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of the hope that allows us to continue to push forward in the midst of the space between reality and desire. So friends, express yourself honestly to God. Acknowledge your forgiveness consistently. Watch with confident expectation and rest in his love confidently. When, will you look up at me for just a second? When you're in this space and it's so hard to see God's hand. And there's sometimes some really significant and prevalent darkness that covers the space that we inhabit, isn't there? The reality of a lost love, the reality of a lost loved one, the reality of an unmet expectation, and the reality that it may never come to fruition in the way that you want. And sometimes it is so hard to see God's hand, is it not? And so what the psalmist would say to us is simply this, when you cannot see God's hand, trust God's heart. He's good 
We've sung it this morning. He loves you. He's for you. He's purchased the way of redemption. Jesus would invite his followers to live like this. He says, and as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. If you were to look at the Greek, it's literally make your home in my love. Wrap yourself up in him. In the in-between, in the space between, in the waiting, wrap yourself up in the love of God so that everything that comes into your life, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, needs to come through the lens of the cross. It means that whatever God allows to come into my life, we have to see it through. Well, first and foremost, he died for me. And first and foremost, he gave his life for me. First and foremost, he forgave me. First and foremost, he entered humanity, put on skin and bone in order to purchase my life. And whatever comes at me in the space between comes at me through the lens of the cross. And so I can abide in his love. I can walk in his love. And I can be confident resting in the fact that he's for me and he's good. I don't know what it is that you're walking through this morning. I don't know the space between for you. But I know there probably is one. And so my question back to you is, what are you waiting for? Maybe you're you're waiting for the reawakening of joy in your life. Maybe you're waiting for the reawakening of hope. Maybe it's a relationship you've, you've initiated to, to try to bring about some redemption in and to bring back some restoration, and you're, you're sort of just waiting to see how the other person responds to that. Maybe it's the space between school and graduation, <laughs> work and retirement. What are you waiting for? See, because all of us will wait. The question isn't whether or not we'll wait. The question is whether or not we will wait well. Because in seasons of waiting, you either will enter into a season of significant growth where life flourishes or spiritual decline and you start to have a hard time hearing God, seeing God, trusting God. And South Fellowship, I want more for you. Would you be the type of people who don't just endure, but who wait on God well? We um, had the chance to go to the beach uh, on vacation, and um, we went went, went four times, and on the third day, my son Ethan was getting pretty courageous. Um, You might read stupid, but he was getting courageous, okay? And um, he started to go out further and further and further, and he eventually got out to where um, the, the ocean had this like flat area where the waves were breaking and then it dove down really deep in this one area and he accidentally stepped off that ledge that he didn't see there. And I was playing with Avery and the waves close to shore and my son Ethan starts treading water and I look out at him and I see his face and his eyes are as big as saucers. And he yells to me, he says, help dad. And I start walking out to try to help him, and he is panicking. He's panicking. And so I dove in, and I swam out there, and I grabbed him, and I said, buddy, I got you. I got you. And he says to me, Dad, I was, I was so scared. 
And I think that's the way so many of us live in this in between. I'm so scared. God, am I going to make it? Or am I going to drown here? And I want to tell you this morning, you have a heavenly father who says, I see you. And I care. And I'm coming for you. Let's pray.